Jesus was teaching the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were sitting there. They had come to every village of the Galilee from Judea and Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was Jesus to heal the sick. Some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to make him into the mat into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this, because they, the crowd, because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles of the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began to think themselves. Um, who is this fellow? Who is this speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. When I want you to know that the Son of Man was has authority on the earth to forgive sins. So he said to um, the paralyzed man, paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he had been laying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed, gave God praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Amen. Thank you, Sophie. You can hang up there. All right. Thank you. <coughs> Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. Um, thank you again, Sophie, for reading the scripture. Yeah, it's so good uh, to see all of you today. I'm thankful for good weather. A little hot for my taste, but good weather. Nonetheless, preaching from the shade is the way to go. Um, yeah, it's just so good to be here with you guys, to worship with you. Um, I want to remind you, uh, we do have sermon sheets for kids. Uh, that have little uh, notes we've, we've simplified to try to customize it for the sermon. So for kids who are, who are listening, you can actually listen sp for specific information and write the answers down. Uh, adults, if there are any left over and you need a little help, by all means, grab one. Uh, it never hurts. Uh, and you, the sermon text is printed in the bulletin on the, on the back side. Or you might not even know which side is the front or the back, but it's on there. Um, and just a reminder, too. We are recording this. Uh, we don't have a podcast up yet, but we can get this out to people. We have a really highly professional recording system by putting my computer about three feet from the speaker. So, uh, so in case, I don't know if you noticed, there are some distractions out here, parents. And so if you, if you miss something and you want to listen back, we can get that recording to you. All right. Um, here, I'm going I'm to pray for us real quick. Just, Father, would you uh, bless us this morning as we hear your word? Lord, thank you that we get an opportunity to worship you. Thank you that we get an opportunity to hear the word of God read to us, Lord. And we ask that your spirit, who inspired this word to be written, would, uh, would come on us now. 
and so and inspire our hearing of the word so that we can live it out and it would transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, so this is uh, uh, week two of our, of our series that we're, we're calling Stories of Hope, uh, looking in, at the Gospel of Luke, um, and, and we're trying to get some, some ideas uh, about what hope there is in Jesus uh, and how we bring the hope that comes from the Lord, how we bring it to the world around us. And so uh, this story is a story you might know well. It's actually one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. Um, and partly because I don't know if you ever play this game, but you kind of imagine what would it be like to be there when it happened. And this is one of those stories I think it would be a really surreal experience, right? If you just imagine being present when this event takes place, right? Uh, this guy, Jesus, at this point in Luke 5, he's not super well-known everywhere, but he's becoming more well-known. Jesus is in town. He's teaching. He's healing people. His name is starting to get out there to the point, if you notice, that uh, religious leaders are coming all the way from the capital city to a little village to hear what he has to say. Right? Uh, and, and so um, on this day, Jesus attracts a crowd, and they're meeting in a house, and the house is so jam-packed that the people are spilling outside, right? They can't keep them all in. And then suddenly a few men show up, and one of the other Gospels tells us, I think it says it's four men. Four men show up with a, with a paralyzed man on a stretcher. The problem is they can't get inside, right? The crowds are too big. For whatever reason, they wouldn't part, and so they had to come up with another plan. And so they climb up onto the roof. Now, in those days, the roofs were, were usually flat, and there was a ladder outside the house going up to the top of the roof. And so these men carry him up. And then imagine being in the room when they start digging a hole in the roof, right? Debris falling down, and they're picking things up. And then of all the things that they could do, they lower him, lower this man uh, into the crowd right in front of Jesus, right? I've been in many services in my lifetime, church services, teaching opportunities. I have been very distracted in church. This is one I have never seen, right? Somebody dropping through the roof into a crowd of people. Uh, now, picture this for a second. Jesus, who at this point is, you're starting to get the picture that the term authority and power come up a lot, even prior, if you read in Luke's gospel, leading up to this story, his power and authority. And he's in the middle of an authoritative act right? He's teaching on matters of faith. You got big wigs from the capital city who are in town listening to this. And so Jesus, who has all this authority in the middle of teaching about God, and what does he do? And it's really interesting, because if you ever thought about this in the story, his response doesn't actually fit the situation. Have you thought about this? A paralyzed man gets lowered before him, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Did the man ask for that? Right? We're, I mean, if I were in the crowd, was there anyone who was like, hey, Jesus, that's really cool, but I think he wants to walk. Right? Like, that's why he came here, was to walk. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus reveals his hand a little bit here. Right? He, 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 he shows what he's doing because he points out what these other religious leaders are thinking, that he is taking God's job of forgiveness on himself. Right? That's why they call it, it's blasphemy. This thing's going to fall over, I bet you. Uh, Jesus is committing blasphemy. He, he is claiming the divine prerogative, right? Je God's job is to forgive all sins. Because you know, Jesus doesn't say to him, hey, you sinned against me last week and I forgive you. 
he says, your sins are forgiven. But, sorry guys, uh, but then Jesus, he shows what he's really doing. And he says, I'm going to prove to you that I have this authority. And he heals him. Okay. Now, we're going to point out a couple things from this story uh, as we go and what it means for us. Um, <clears throat> let's just talk real quick about this, this paralyzed man, the paralytic. Uh, and honestly, just as importantly, we're going to talk about his friends here. Uh, these, honestly, they have to be some of the best friends a man could ask for, right? I mean, clearly they have faith that Jesus could heal their friend. But it's not just that they have faith, right? Described in this story are a group of men who are desperate to help their friend, right? I mean, they're asking the question, what will it take to get this man to Jesus? And if you just think through what, what they have to do, uh, even something as simple as carrying him on a stretcher. How many of us have ever carried somebody on a stretcher? A handful of people, if you work in the medical field, perhaps. Okay. Now, we don't know how far they had to carry this man. However, because the crowds had already formed so big, it's doubtful that he lived right next door. Okay. But even then, it's just a, it's not a small task. It's an effort to get this man to Jesus. Carrying him on the roof. Okay. Imagine four guys carrying a man on a stretcher, having to go up a ladder. I mean, I don't even know actually how you would do it. What I mean, what are they How much you have to tie him down? Because you know you can't keep him flat. You can't keep him parallel to the ground. He's going to have to slant. How do you even do it? Okay. Uh, so, and not to mention the faith that this man had in his friends, let's be honest. Um, and even something as simple as like digging hole, the hole in the roof, right? It, it, it might not be that uh, physically difficult of a task. And yet they were willing to do it. They were willing to damage someone else's property. There's no way that the homeowner thought, oh, this is great. Someone's digging a hole in my roof, right? They're willing to interrupt a teaching in the most ridiculous way possible, right? There's a great potential for, for angering the host, the crowd, Jesus, right? But they were willing to do it. They were willing to do it anyway. See, what these friends model for us is what you, is what you might call a desperate faith, a desperate faith. Now, I want to make a distinction here. We're not talking about despair, right? Despair says there is no hope. Despair is being in the desert on a hot day and saying, there's no water anywhere. I might as well give up. Desperation, desperate in this case, in the way we're using it, is I'm in the desert. I know there's got to be water somewhere, and I'm going to keep going. I will do whatever it takes to get to the water, right? Uh, nothing was going to stop these friends from getting their friend to Jesus. It was a desperate faith. In desperation, we will do what it takes to get this man to the only one who can heal him. And you'll notice that Jesus responds to their faith. And it's convicting. I am convicted when I read this story, right? Uh, do I act in this sort of desperate faith on behalf of others, right? Uh, and I guess the question I ask myself, and maybe you can ask yourself, is my heart so tender towards the suffering of others that I'd be willing to do whatever it takes, whatever personal embarrassment, risk, whatever it takes to get that person to Jesus? Is that the sort of desperation I feel on behalf of others? Uh, but if we keep going, let's, let's think about Jesus in this story. Um, you, you may have noticed something, too, that I found interesting. 
uh, oftentimes when we see Jesus who encounters someone who's sick or, or in, in demon-possessed or, or, or something, uh, the text, the, the Bible will mention his compassion, right? Out of his compassion, he heals them or does something on their behalf. Um, and I have no doubt that Jesus had compassion on this man in this story, right? But you notice that the focus is actually on his authority, right? Uh, again, I'm sure he had compassion, but the focus here is on his authority, the stories leading up to this one in Luke's gospel, right, uh, highlight his authority over demons, over sickness as a teacher. Um, we mentioned his slightly odd response to a, a paralyzed man to forgive his sins. Um, and and what, is, what is Jesus doing, right? He's revealing who he is. He's revealing and demonstrating his authority. Uh, and you may, you may uh, have noticed, too, this is the first time in Luke's gospel the Pharisees show up. Um, so this is like the start of the problems with them. Now, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, if we can, that they were trying to preserve God's rightful role, right, as forgiver of sins. They're thinking, well, only God forgives sins. Who does this guy think he is, right? Um, but Jesus himself is claiming that authority. Now, uh, this is an interesting exchange here, right, when he... Uh, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, right? And he says, uh, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. So this is an interesting question. Which is easier, right? Which is easier to say, you're forgiven or you're healed? Now, some might say it's the same, um, which possibly, although I'm not sure why Jesus would drag this out uh, to make the point if they were the saying the same thing. Uh, you could argue that forgiveness is harder, right? Because only God can forgive. Um, although I, I tend to lean more towards what Jesus is doing is saying, the harder thing is to say, get up and walk. Uh, and, and here's why. Um, if, I say, if I just say, your sins are forgiven, can you prove me wrong? I mean, how can they prove Jesus wrong that this man was forgiven? You can't really do it. But if Jesus says, get up and walk, well, now everything comes down to this one point. If this man stays on his mat and cannot get up and walk, Jesus has proven a liar. It's harder in that way because it's easy to prove him right or wrong. Does that make sense? However, right, if he does get up and walk, then you got to wonder, does he really have this authority to forgive sins? Because he just did what is basically the impossible, right? He told a man, a paralyzed man, Get up and walk. Get moving. In that sense, so I think that the healing is harder because it's tangible, right? If he can simply command a paralyzed man to get up and walk, maybe he really can forgive sins. Maybe he really does have that much authority, right? And so that question just keeps hanging on as you keep going through the gospel, right? And this also reveals something else about Jesus' ministry, um, we oftentimes think of salvation uh, primarily in terms of forgiveness of sins, 
which is true. I'm a big fan of forgiveness. Um, but you'll notice here that Jesus doesn't just forgive the man. He transforms his life, right? The, this is revealing something not just about the nature of his, his authority, but the nature of his ministry. Jesus brings transformation to the lives of the broken and the needy, right? Those who ha realize, they're desperate, they realize they have no other hope than the salvation that Jesus brings. And he responds to them. So I, I want to think about here for a second. Why is this focus on authority so important? Why is, why is this such a, a crucial aspect of the story? And, and why is it so important for us? You see, it's not just uh, that Jesus has authority it's how he uses that authority that sets him apart uh right he doesn't use this, his authority for for himself he doesn't gain some political position he isn't asking for money he doesn't make deals right you do this for me and i'll do this for you right he turns his authority and his power outwards it's not self-serving he doesn't take advantage of those who need him Right? He uses, Jesus uses his power, his authority uh, for forgiveness, for healing, for restoration, for transformation. Jesus uses all his power and authority to respond to those who come to him in desperation. Right? He responds to a desperate faith. And as I was going through this text, I was thinking about what does this have to say like to our broader context when we look around um, where we live and the people we, we live around. And I was thinking, how many people in this region, in this area, in the surrounding towns, how many people have walked away from the church? Uh, not because they deny God's existence or they have no faith in God whatsoever, but how many of them have walked away from the church because what they've experienced is abuse and wounding at the hands of religious leaders, religious authorities. And how many of those people who have walked away because they've just seen it, whether they've experienced it personally or in others, they've seen the, the, the abuse and misuse of authority, and how many of them know that Jesus is different? There goes my notes. How many of them know that Jesus is different, that he uses his authority to bless and transform not to take, but to give. And then for us, how many of us, it's all right, uh, how many of us, thank you, how many of us are, are, are walking out and demonstrating that ministry of transformation of Jesus? Are we bringing them? Are we desperate enough to bring broken and wounded people to the feet of Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus is different. His authority is one that gives and loves and blesses and heals and restores and transforms. So, Kelly, you can come on up. Um, as, we're, as we're going to respond, um, what, I, what I don't want to do is... Um, try to drum up the emotion of desperation that that will last us maybe through lunch uh but what i want us to do is respond to um 
the, the, respond to Jesus in, in, in the way that others did in this story. They, they experienced the transformation, the, the transforming power and authority of Jesus, and they respond in worship. But as the Lord is working that in us, that we would ask him, bring us to desperate people who may not even realize there is one hope. There is one hope for them. Lord, would you reveal those people to us? Show us those people. Open up those doors. Make it easy for us to find them and bring them to the feet of Jesus, Lord.